So glad to see you here at Circle. We're pleased to have you with us. And I'm going to ask that Jason Moffat join us on the platform. Jason is with uh, World Vision, and uh, he's really one of us. And he is carrying something that is a great picture of what happened yesterday. <laughs> How heavy is that? Uh, I think it's about 45 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. No. And tell us why you're bringing that to the platform today. Sure, yesterday 106 of you and some from the community got together because you felt that clean water for children in the Democratic Republic of Congo was important. It is. So we got together and some ran, some walked. It was pouring on us, but we had a ton of time, a ton of good time. <laughs> yes, we did. And uh, it was a great event. And it's not typical that our first event had so many participants. No, usually there's 40 or 50 participants at the church's first event and maybe raising four or 5,000, and we blew that out of the water. Yeah, yeah. We had, we had uh, 106 people, so t over twice as many people as average for the very first, and we raised $15,000 for clean great? water. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> it was... A great event. It was, yeah. Some yeah. of us ran. I, I ran it. It yeah. had been a while, so I'm a little sore if you see me hobbling around. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, all sorts of knots all over my body, but I'm smiling because yeah. of the impact on children. So what does 15,000 look like for water in Western DRC? It's 310 children. Yeah, there's, the, there's Grant showing off again. <laughs> 310 children now having yep. access to clean water. Isn't that amazing? I, we were talking about the picture that yeah. that paints. Yeah. And uh, if you could pause the, the rotating just for a sec, I want to paint a picture for you. Uh, one picture that Pastor Eldon and I were talking about. Imagine if you're at Circle or here um, anywhere else in Saskatoon, instead of walking two to six hours every day for yep. dirty water. Imagine if over 300 children flooded into an elementary school, yep. flooded into your church kids program here, yep. flooded into school and sports programming instead of doing that two to six hours of walk for water every day. That's a, that's a picture that gets me up in the morning every day. You know, and I didn't think about it until today when we were talking. I mean, two to six hours of walking consumes a child's life and now we have freed that so they can get education so that creates all kinds of other challenges and opportunities yeah and they're good problems to have so you have yeah. to build on to schools and churches have to figure that out and sports yeah. programs have to add more teams because these children are going getting the education and community and opportunity to connect with a local church that they didn't before because they yeah. were doing dangerous walks uh, for dirty water and yeah. every step that we took yesterday with 106 people the youngest was five months yeah the oldest we won't say um, <laughs> but we every person that took those steps all those steps we took yesterday were steps that they don't have to yeah those 310 children they don't have to take those steps anymore because we did we took them for correct and you know yesterday it was raining it was not supposed to rain until noon but it started exactly when we started the walk and I thought you know what, this is okay, because the kids that are walking two to six hours don't get to choose a sunny day or a 
rainy day. Right, and they don't get to choose if bullets are whizzing by or no. if there's a lion behind that bush. It is, uh, it's just something we can't imagine. No. So it, it's this morning is quite a celebration of of how sore I am from <laughs> yesterday. But we saw families with little kids, I got four young kids, just smiling in the rain because they knew the impact that they were making with every yeah. step they took. Those kids are in better shape than us. Listen, what I love about World Vision is that there are no strings attached. You go into a village and they don't have to do anything to receive help. They just have to be human. And World Vision goes in and looks for what we call the man of peace or the woman of peace, maybe Christian or otherwise, who loves their community and says, how can we help you? And the people, the leaders tell World Vision what their needs are, and World Vision then goes to work and helps. And I just think that an organization like this is worthy of our support. And they say... You don't have to believe anything. You want to belong, we accept you. And as a result, many people ask, why do you do this? And the answer is... Jesus. Yes. Jesus is the one that compels us and, yeah. and, um, and invites us to the poor. No strings. But in the back of our mind and in our hearts, we do wish that one day these people would meet Jesus. Yes. But even if they didn't, then we would still meet their immediate needs because Jesus calls us to those who are and sick and in prison and have lack of clean water. All of that Matthew 25 passage, yeah. mm -hmm. Jesus calls it to us, calls us to it, no strings. And that's what we need to do. And Jason, if I had the power to canonize people, I would call you Saint Jason. Well, thank you very much. Drive. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you. We bless you. Thank you for helping us do this. It's in us to want to help people. And you gave us a great venue to help people in Jesus' name, and we say thank you to you. Thank you very much. Now, yes, let's say thank you to Jason. Yeah. Now, St. Jason, tell us, uh, we have three people we want to uh, highlight today, and who are they? Yes, they're coming up on the screen, and it's for people who were a part of the, the walk yesterday and they're going to put it up soon, is for social, they were part of social media pictures, and they also were for highest, oh, here we go. So best submitted photo goes to Shanna Friesen. So Shanna, if you could go to the info desk, yeah, give her a clap. Yeah. If you could head out to the info desk after the service, we'll yeah. be able to give you your, uh, yeah. your prize. And, and that's your husband, Patrick, carrying... 44 pounds of water. Yes, for a long ways yesterday. And then the second highest fundraiser was Yola. So if Yola, if you could come see, give, us, give her a clap this morning. And then lastly, the number one highest fundraiser was Ilana Goche, $1,330. Isn't that amazing? Way to go. That is wonderful. So thank you to all of you who participated either by uh, walking or sponsoring and helping to make this a successful event. So thank you to you. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. It's great. We're going to re receive the morning offering. Uh, it is because of your ties and your generous giving that we're able to have a church that participates in these kinds of activities. And we do church every week to help people find uh, 
their way on their spiritual journey. So the volunteers are coming at this time. Thank you to the people who are wearing your shirts and your medals to celebrate this day as well. I honor you this morning. Some of you didn't take your shirts out and dry them. So this morning you found them in a heap that were wet. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you're all here. So let's pray. God, as we give to you this morning, we do so with grateful hearts. We are so thankful that over 300 people will receive clean water. And we pray that more than that, they would receive the water of life. And they would never thirst again. As we give this morning, we ask that you would use these gifts to help people. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we thank you for coming today, and we welcome all those who are listening online. My name is Pastor Eldon, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we are in a series called, uh, uh, Why Doesn't Faith Work? And so if you would take out your sermon notes there in your program this morning, you can also watch them on the screen, or you can go to your YouVersion Bible app, click uh, More, click Events, Circle Drive will come up, and you can add to those notes. You can save them and share them. If you scroll below, uh, there is a Parent Queue app that uh, helps you keep the conversation alive with your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. It's a really important uh, piece of our ministry here. We want children to be noticed and loved and help them in their journey as well. Today, we're wrapping up this series, noting that no matter what worldview you hold to, there is always an element of faith to whatever worldview you have. Christianity is not the only worldview that relies on faith. Now, most of us are trying to figure out how life works and whether there is purpose and whether there's meaning to our life. All of us want that for ourselves. So today, I want to address what it looks like to have incredible faith if you are a Jesus follower. And this is what it means to have incredible faith. And the way we're going to do that this morning is... Uh, we're going to look at what Jesus said because Jesus was a great man of faith. And I'm going to kind of be a reporter and going to be asking Jesus some questions as we go through the text this morning. Because what Jesus says explains how he lived out his faith. And so if we want to be Jesus followers and we want faith like Jesus had, uh, we need to pay attention to what he was saying. Now, to be clear, uh, some Christians would disagree with what I will teach this morning. And they're all, that's fine with me. You're free to be wrong. <laughs> uh, but, uh, they will take the verses that of scriptures and they will say things like, if you believe, you will receive. If you have enough faith, you will get what you want out of life. 
Or they look at verses like, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Now, I submit to you that often these verses are taken outside of context and used for self-gratifications. In fact, some modern philosophers wanted to use Jesus as a self-help guru. And so I want to debunk some of these myths. When Jesus spoke, he was really clear and was a, a person of extraordinary faith, yet he did not leverage his faith to get what he wanted for himself. He was a person who was surrendered to his Father. What we'll see today is this. Great faith, great faith is great surrender. Great faith is great surrender. Now remember, we've been using a definition of faith throughout this series, and here it is. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do. So the critical part of this is, what has God promised? And you can go back in the message series if you've missed some of these on linecdac.ca slash messages, and we discuss this whole idea of what are the promises of God? What is faith? So when we open the pages of Scripture, we find that Jesus was leveraging his faith for the sake of his Father in heaven. Now, there are preachers out there that will tell you, if you have enough faith, you can achieve your dreams. And we are suckers for this, really. It is good business to tell people you can be skinnier, do it longer, faster, live in wealth. And that is taking some things Scripture said and leaving a lot of the other parts of Scripture out. So this morning, I'm going to start with John chapter 5. And we will see that Christianity, in Christianity, great faith looks like great surrender. Now that sounds threatening, but in a minute, we'll see that it is, it is actually the best way to go. The best way to go. So Jesus, the man, man of faith, is speaking here. And he says in verse 30, by myself, I can do what? Nothing. I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but whom? Him who sent me. So we say to Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. Are you not on a happiness quest? Is that not your thing? What are you doing here? Don't you have an agenda? Don't you have some goals? And Jesus would say, nope. Nope, I, I just have to figure out what God wants done, and I just do that. I don't do anything on my own. Then you come to John chapter 12 and verse 49. He says, for I did not speak on my own. But my Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So we say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you don't have anything to say on your own? 
Nothing on your own? He says, no. Wait a minute, Jesus. Anything you would say would be great. You're Jesus. You're the guy. And Jesus says, maybe so. Maybe so. But I have not come to speak my own ideas. Verse 50. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say I just is just what the Father has told me to say. So let me get this right, Jesus. You're here to do what God wants you to do and say what God wants you to say. And he says, yep, that, that's why I'm here. You mean you don't have an agenda, Jesus? Nope. It's a simple plan. You don't have a self-actualization plan, Jesus? What's wrong with you? Aren't you concerned about that? Jesus says, no, no. In John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven. And what is the next word? Not to do my will, but whose? To do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, you don't initiate anything? And Jesus says, well, not really. And you say to him, Jesus, I thought you were a rebel. I thought you were an extremist. And Jesus says, no, here's how I operate. I came to do what the Father told me to do and to say what the Father told me to say. And I came to accomplish his will. It's just that simple. So Jesus, you are totally under someone else's authority? You take your cues from somebody else? Like you don't have your own deal going on? Is that what I hear you saying? No original ideas, no agenda? And Jesus says, well, I do have an agenda. It is to do the will of my Father. Why is that, Jesus? Because I have extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith. I believe that the Father is who the Father says He is and that He will do everything that He has promised to do. And if there's a God that can be trusted like that, why would I show up and do my own agenda? Then you come to verse 39 and He says, and this is the will of him who sent me. Okay, what, what's the will? That I shall lose none of those he has given me, but I'll raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will, okay, here's, here's the will word again, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So, Jesus, there's nothing in there but a new car? Like, I don't get a new car out of this? Like, the Father has skipped over you, Jesus, and, and it's all about other people? It, it's selfless? And Jesus says, well, yeah, pretty much. I don't get a car out of this. It's about other people. It's about being selfless. 
we say, Jesus, you are the most passive person I've met. You have no life of your own. But here we are, 2,000 years later, we're gathered in Jesus' name. That's pretty good for a passive person, isn't it? I mean, no one will read anything that we've said 2,000 years from now, probably not even 200 years from now, not even 20 minutes from now. <laughs> but here's this passive Jesus, and we're gathered together in Jesus' name. Now, if you are here this morning and you're not a believer and you're wrestling with the authenticity of Christianity, how did the, had the Christian message get out of the first century into the 20th century? Why would anyone follow this teaching if it doesn't get them a job, a, a new car, a new house, a new spouse, if there's nothing in it for us? Listen, faith is not leveraging Jesus for your advantage. Faith is great surrender. Look at John 14, verse 10. It says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, I'm in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. So Jesus, Jesus, you are just like a, a pipeline. Oh, he's a pipeline that God is doing his work through. And Jesus says, yes, pretty much. I love pipelines. So I could close here this morning and say, you want to follow Jesus? And you go, wow, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's in it for me. You know, what about getting healed and getting richer and getting thinner? Where's all that? Well, what we have read this morning is a backdrop to the next verse. And the next verse is in verse 12. And it says, very, very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will be even greater works, greater things than these, because I'm going to my Father, going to my Father. Now, most of us love this verse because it's all about accomplishing greater things than Jesus did. It's almost like a competition. We're tempted to think about accomplishing things like accomplishing healings and accomplishing wealth and accomplishing fame to increase our self-esteem. But the disciples of Jesus would be shocked at that kind of thinking, of that kind of reasoning. They knew what it meant that as you become surrendered faith person, surrendered to Christ, God is willing to do extraordinary things through the person who is surrendered. This is not about getting on your knees and saying, but rather it is about getting on your knees and saying, Father, what is next? Father, what is the thing you want me to do? Father, what should I say? Father, where should I go? How do I advance your purpose in the world? What is it that you would 
require of me. Because, Father, I want to be surrendered to your will and to your plan. And John 14, 13 says, Jesus speaking again, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So Jesus, if I, if I have enough faith and believe in your name and put a picture of that house in my fridge or the, the picture of that girl or the, the picture of that hunky guy or the picture of that car in my fridge and the amount of dollars I want in my bank account and I say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Won't I get what that? Won't I receive it? And Jesus would say, listen, friends, the people who sat around the campfire with me knew exactly what I was talking about. They knew what I meant. What I meant and was talking about was receiving and doing the will of the one who sent me. This is not about initiating and launching new ideas for God to get involved with. It was about surrendering. It was about asking God what he wants done in the world. What he wants done with my family, with my finances, and in my community. When we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are the conduit. We are the ones who represent the Father and the Son in our world. So John one of Jesus' favorite disciples, reflecting as an old man, and he wrote down the documents of what happened as he was observing Jesus Christ. And he was one of his followers. He says in verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whenever I read that verse, I never liked the word will. I never liked it because I wanted my will. Now, I thought I had some good ideas, God, that you should get on board with. You know, I have a strategic plan. I have something to do, God. You want to get on board with this and bless it. But here's the qualifier. We ask anything according to his will. He hears us. So why pray about things that are God's will? Why not present ideas to God that he could consider? Verse 15 answers. He says, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And John is saying, if you are like Jesus, Spend your life trying to understand what God wants done in the world and who want God wants to care for and what kind of people you need to hire and what kind of organizations you need to begin and what kind of agenda would be God's agenda. And then get in line with what God is asking you to do. And if you ask in that manner and in that posture and with that surrender, you can be assured that God hears you and he will accomplish his will through you. Years ago, Blackaby wrote this book. 
And he talked about the fact that you, you need to observe where God was working and then get beside God and do what he's asking you to do. Wherever he's working, you, you're, you should be there. Because here's the thing. Great faith is great surrender. Great faith is great surrender. And so it invites us into the posture of saying, God, what do you want me to do with my career? God, what do you want me to do in my relationships? God, what is it that you want me to do in order to manage my morality and my sexuality? God, how do I manage my finances, the resources that you have given to me to steward? God, what do you want me to do with my children? God, what do you want me to do with the debt that I have that holds me back from full surrender? then God, I will do anything, anything you want me to do because I have great faith. I have great faith. Why don't we want to do that? I, I love how Conrad said, and, and he said it for all of us, at least he said it for me. I find it difficult to give up control. And why is that? I think one of the reasons is it's fear. We like it when we can say, God, I have some stuff I want to accomplish, so please help me. And we put God in a backpack and we carry him around and you say, God, I'm on a road trip. Keep my car working and my, my journey safe. And when we get to the hotel, we take the backpack off and we throw it in the corner and we say, if I need you, I'll come and get you. And God's not a backpack God. And talk about scary, but we tend to carry Jesus around like a good luck charm. We treat God like he's manageable. And we have him in our back pocket to respond to every request we have. We say, heal Uncle Sam. Now, Uncle Sam needs a healing, but I'll get back to you if I need anything else or if you want me to be involved in any other part of my life. I, I, I just think that this is an insult to God, just an insult to God. If we're going to live like we can trust him for everything, then why are we frustrated when God doesn't come through with our needs? If we compartmentalize him and keep him out of some of the day-to-day -day things, the things that usually go wrong, and we, then we get mad at God, like, help me understand that. If we live like there is no God, why are we upset when God does not show up as God? Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Jesus came as a Savior. He came to die. And even as a Savior, Jesus came without, without his own agenda. He came to do what God said to do and say what God told him to say. 
And you may not want to follow that. Listen, you might be a church person. You've been in church all your life, and you don't want to do that. If you don't want to follow that, have the courtesy of leaving him out of your life. Don't insult Jesus by picking him apart for not being at your beck and call. For treating God like he never came to be and doesn't even present himself to be. He is not a backpack God. That faith doesn't work. If your faith isn't working, it's usually because God is not God in your life and you haven't surrendered to him. And there's no, going to come a time when in all of our lives we realize living like that is foolish. When our magic prayers and our rituals that we go through are a facade, when we finally recognize that living like the devil Monday to Saturday and going to confession on Sunday is futile, you are not fooling your heavenly Father. Really, you're not. If we decide to follow Jesus, it leads to surrender. Can I be any more clear than this this morning? The greater your faith, the greater your faith, the more confidence in, in who God is and what God claims to be. The logical response to being in the presence of greatness is to bow yourself before the one who's great. And even Jesus, the Son of God, did not leverage his position as the Son to have his will over the will of the Father. This is what I know about broken people. Broken people come to faith in Christ through their brokenness. It's what drives them to Christ. The facade of I'm in control of my life comes to a realization that we really aren't. And when we come to God in brokenness, here's what we can expect of him. Grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And surrender is when your faith intersects God's faithfulness and suddenly you're going to have this aha moment of your heavenly Father becoming alive in all your experiences. This is the message of the cross. It's the message of the cross. And Jesus prayed before he died, Daddy, I don't want to do this, but it's not my will. It's your will. So let me ask you as you close, what would that look like for you? And listen, I know it's scary, but what is more scary than not trusting God? We can play with fire, and, and in the end it will burn us. But I just challenge you this morning just to pick just one area of your life where you can trust God and begin there. Just begin. Just begin. One year I was, as I do every year, was reading through the Bible 
in this particular year, I was asking God, what do you desire of the people of Circle? And what came alive as I read through the pages of Scripture, right from Genesis right through to Revelation, was God's commitment to the poor, how he cares for, and how he loves the poor and the disadvantaged. In fact, he said at one point, whenever you have done this for the least of people, you have done unto me. And they, he commended people for bringing him a cup of cold water and, and bread. And, and they said, when did we ever do that? And he said, when you did it for the least, for those who are disadvantaged, you do it for me. When they can't pay you back, you're doing it for your heavenly father. And I, I was so smitten by the fact that God loves the poor and the disadvantaged. And I said, God, I would dedicate myself to being sensitive to the needs of the poor. And out of that, we developed the, the annual food drive for the food bank. We've partnered with City Center Church. We have ministry in the Lighthouse. We have partnered with EGADS. We've partnered now with World Vision. And when Jason came to us and presented this opportunity for, to walk for water, it was no-brainer for, for us because that's the will of God. It's the will of God that we care for the poor. He doesn't want people getting sick because they're drinking dirty water and they're susceptible to every kind of disease that's going around. And listen, when we walked and when we gave to this thing, we were doing the will of the Father. We surrendered to the will of the Father. And that's what it means. Just, I would have rather been, you know, sitting around some comfortable place drinking coffee or doing something else. But the will of the Father drives us. It drives us. So we raised a lot of money and we're helping a lot of people. And we're doing greater things than Jesus did. As we're taking care of the will of God. And the question is, what is the Father wanting us to say? And what is the Father wanting us to do? And we're going to partake of, of communion in a few moments. And communion is all about Surrender. An important part of communion is to commune with our Father. And nothing breaks that communion more than when we're out of sorts with our Father. When there are things that we knowingly know that have upset him, that have contravened his work in our life. And we know it. He's given us all a, a conscience. And we know when we have broken this communion with God. In these moments, I would like us just to reflect silently and do business with our God so that we are not eating and drinking unworthily. That we confess our sins. It says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's take a moment now to silently confess to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we have a great high priest 
who empathizes with our weaknesses and was tempted in every way that we were. And because you have no sin, and because you have died in the cross and shed your blood, you have covered us and you have paid for every iniquity, for every offense. And because you came out of the grave alive, we know the, that you, Father, have received this sacrifice and we are confident in our forgiveness. Thank you for what you've done for us this morning. Amen. And the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the new agreement in my blood. And the old agreement was based on what you could do. But the new agreement was based on what Christ has done for us. And he said to his disciples, take, eat, and drink. So grateful for a God that has... Uh, done something for us and that we can trust him and you can have faith in him and you can surrender to him and full confidence that he will look out for you in your best interest. And life is a lot better when we are surrendered. Next week, one of our elders is beginning a series called Love and War and you, you want to be part of that. It's all about relational issues and so invite a friend to be part of that. Common Ground is open this morning. Uh, could I remind you that there will be people at the front here if you want to talk to anybody about anything this morning or you need prayer, please drop by. The parents, parents um, with your children, if you, you can go right now, in fact, to the back, to the table, to the uh, celebration people, uh, tables in the back. So, yeah, you can just... Excuse yourself right now, so you're there, and I hope that you stop by and congratulate these parents, and what a, what a morning we've had, and a great morning, and thank you for being part of this. God bless you as you go. May you experience the peace of Christ, and may you come to know how safe it is to surrender your life to the one who loves you. God bless you.